I feel like we may have found something that we all feel as strongly about, if not more strongly about, than our book tastes. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, special Halloween edition, otherwise known as the week Virginia has the perfect seasonal excuse to eat more candies and to make her co-workers read and talk about horror novels. So welcome everyone to our book chat again. Um, and there's always one person that is a lot more excited about the topic than anyone else. And this, I think, is my week to be excited. Um, so I love horror novels, as many of you probably know. Um, and it is very much tied to my love for books and my love for libraries, because the very first book that I borrowed from my local library branch when I came to Canada, that is my own choice, so not like a classics that I was told that I should read, is Christine by Stephen King. And at that point, I'm pretty sure I have no idea who Stephen King is, but it was one that I found in the good old paperback spinners at my library. And I guess something about the cover, something about the synopsis that attracted me to this. And I remember reading it, loving it, and then went on and binge read a bunch of Stephen King novels. Now, I'm very suspicious of what I actually got out of it because I don't like now that I look at it I'm like there's no way that I understand what's going on in this book with my very questionable English at that point but anyway I loved it and um, it started my love for books and probably my love for libraries and I don't think I will be here talking to any of you and working in a library if not for this so thank you Mr. King for inspiring that um, and I think what at that point, like, you know, being a teenager is scary enough. Being a teenager, coming to a new country, trying to learn a new language, trying to so-called make new friends when everybody in your high school already know one another and like completely not know how anything worked in this place was mighty scary. And I think what horror novels very often does for those of us who love reading it is that it gives a little bit sense of control because I can watch someone go through like their fears and come out alive and it feels a little therapeutic you know like you feel like okay well I can I can do this you know I can I, I just give you a little bit more that you have some control over whatever scary things that is going on in your lives and I think the other thing of course for horror novels to me you know people think about horror and they think about like blood and gore and you know screaming and yeah there's lots of that sometimes but I think a lot of horror novels are very much about the people in the books and to have a good horror novel you need to have that good scary thing but you also very much need to have that very well-developed characters that the readers can identify with that the readers care about you know to stand up to whatever scary things that is out there and I think for me who love like a character-driven novel who really need the books to have good characters so that I can actually care about them and and want to continue to read it. Horror novels does that really, really well. So if this weekend 
you feel like picking up a horror novel and give Mr. King is the only person that you can think of, well, we have at least five other recommendations for you today from my fellow book lovers. We have Sadie, Liz, Corinne, and Fiona. So how is everyone doing today? Doing spooky. Very spooky. Feeling spooky, feeling the spooky, yeah, yeah. Um, Before we start, I think we need to settle this sort of age-old debate. What is the best Halloween candy? This is easy. Mine is always, from a child to an adult, was the mini versions of large adult candies. So your mini Twizzlers or your mini O'Henry bars. Everything else, garbage. Twizzlers, the adult candy. Twizzlers, the adult candy for civilized and elegant adults. Okay, Corrine. I don't want mini versions of that. I don't want adult versions of that. No, thank you. Fiona, what is your what is your candy of choice? Well, if a candy doesn't have chocolate and nuts in it, then it's not worth it. Um, so I like uh, Crispy Crunch, I think, is like the one that's sort of... Um, yeah. Got that like good step in the middle <laughs> that's not helpful um and anything <laughs> um Reese's Pieces but I'm actually kind of a stickler for dark chocolate so yeah, that they don't really give that out uh you know for Halloween candy and that Kareem is an adult candy one with dark chocolate <laughs> Sadie mm, so this usually any other time of the year, I love chocolate and I love caramel. So if you put those together, that is my ideal, like something chewy and caramely and chocolatey. Um, I do love Reese's, not Reese's Pieces. I really love like the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. But this time of year, my all-time favorite candy are Rockets. Yes, I have a prop because I have them sitting next to me so that I can snack on them as we do our book chat. They are not great. Yeah, yes, yes, we agree. <laughs> but despite what everyone says, each individual color does have a distinct flavor. Take it from someone who has literally separated them numerous times and eaten each individual one in- by itself. And I will buy a bag of these every year. I will eat the entire bag. I will make myself sick. And then I will do it again the next year. So my Halloween candy of choice are rockets. Aw, Sadie. And what's your favorite flavor? Ooh, uh, the white ones or the purple ones? I think the white is pineapple. I think the white is pineapple and the purple is grape. The white flavor and the purple flavor. All right. I'll, I'll save them till last. I'll separate them all out and then I'll, I'll like make little piles of, so I have like a whole bunch of the one flavor. It's a good strategy. Thank you, Liz. I, I, I feel like everyone else is judging me quite harshly right now. So I appreciate your kind words. Anytime. <laughs> Liz, Liz, tell us so that we can judge you. Oh, it's so hard to choose. It was so agonizing. It was almost more than, you know, what book do we pick for this week? Because I'll eat pretty much any candy if it's out on the table in the staff room at home, which is why I have not bought any Halloween chocolate yet this year. Um, That being said, I do love the mini chocolate bars. 
just about anything except for Mars bars. I don't like that weird nougaty thing. Um, but I'm gonna have to go with gummies here. So Sour Patch Kids, those berries, especially the real fruit ones, gummy bears. I love gummy bears. So Liz, you just said, okay, my favorite is chocolate, all chocolate bars. And then you're like, but my actual favorite is gummies, all gummies. But she was in the favorite. beginning, she would eat everything. <laughs> so even the candy corn. Oh, yeah. I'll eat the candy corn too. I will. Stop. Let me say we work yeah. from the school class. Yeah. yeah. I have to say that with the candy corn, I can have significantly less of it before I start to feel sick than, than other, other candy. Because it's pure sugar. <laughs> yeah. It's all you need. <laughs> How about you, Virginia? What's your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, I probably would say Sour Patch Kids or Starburst. Hmm. Also very into the fake fruit flavors now do you have a favorite starburst flavor Ah, uh, the red ones yeah that's because the red, the red ones, ones are the only yeah. ones worth eating exactly oh, which is interesting no. because the the box that i got recently actually has like the minis right so they actually call like they actually have the ones that are just regular like mm -hmm. any random flavors and then they have specific packages called the red ones Ooh. so you only get the red and the pink one Oh, maybe I'm thinking of the pink one then. What are the red ones? The red flavor. <laughs> what do you mean, what are the red ones? Well, I, well, I wondered if maybe I like the pink ones. Go pink. You're going to have to buy a box I and am. find out. I'm going to have to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, just just those ones. It's great. Like, they, they recognize that people don't care about the orange or the yellow one or whatever those are. The citrus ones are the best, though, like. Citrus is a flavor that is... You oh, can oh, have them. Nice. Normally it is, but when it comes to fake candies, no. You need those <laughs> red ones. Yellow and orange, no matter what you're eating, they're going to be lemon and orange. Not Unless not necessarily, though, because yellow is sometimes banana. Ooh, <laughs> I don't even want to take that chance. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I feel like we may have found something that we all feel as strongly about if not more strongly about than our book tastes is our starburst is our starburst and our candy tastes i guess we'll have to just buy a bunch of them and find out mm -hmm. this weekend or i could buy the adult versions of them <laughs> <laughs> well, we could be the ultimate traders of like we'll bring in all our candy and then just offload them on to give all the rockets to save yeah as children we would have been an unstoppable team mm -hmm. <laughs> But who who eats the Tootsie Rolls? Oh, throw them straight in the garbage. See, there's always someone, apparently. <laughs> Doesn't matter what, how gross it is, there's always someone who will eat it. And then the rest of it would just give it to Liz because she will eat everything. Yeah. <laughs> all gonna be fine. All right, well, let's should we get back to books then? Now that we're all like hungry for candies and we know what we're gonna do after this. That's why you have it sitting or, like, next to you. Or <laughs> not after during this whole thing <laughs> all right do you want to go first Sadie so you can like have your time eating to, to eat to spend the rest of my time eating rockets mm -hmm. sure yep, that's right. <laughs> all right so I am going to preface this by saying I cannot handle scary things um I learned at a very early age my sister used to force me to watch horror movies and then I would sit up at night not being able to sleep and this would happen 
repeatedly and I couldn't figure out why I could not sleep. And then I thought about it. I'm like, well, because your sister makes you watch horror movies every single day because um, she loved them. So I finally realized that scary things are not for me. So the book that I am going to be talking about might not be the same level of horror and scariness as uh, some of the other books that are being talked about today, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it is called Spirit Hunters, and it is by Ellen O. And it is a middle grade uh, spooky story uh, that revolves around the character of Harper Rain. And Harper uh, is a seventh grader, and she has just been moved by her family from New York City to Washington, D.C. And they left this lovely air-conditioned apartment to move into this old house that the heating's broken, the air conditioning's broken, and it has kind of a creepy vibe to it right off the bat. Um, Harper is not entirely sure why they left New York, but she thinks that it has something to do uh, with something that happened at her school that involved her and something that landed her in the hospital. She doesn't have a lot of memories about exactly what this event was. Um, she She's probably blocked out a lot of it. It was quite traumatic, she imagines, um, but she just doesn't know exactly what happened. So she's moved with her family to Washington, D.C., and the first day that they are there, she's unpacking boxes, and her younger brother, Michael, who is very, very sweet, very kind um, young boy, comes in and and starts talking to her about a friend of his. And this friend, um, he calls Billy, and she's Harper can't really figure out who exactly this Billy is, um, but Michael keeps referring to Billy and he wants to play um, and he doesn't want me to spend time with anyone. He just wants me to spend time with him um, and he's my new friend. So Harper's, she's a little bit um, worried. She doesn't know who this person is, but um, she kind of goes on with her day. And then Michael starts acting very, very strange. Uh, Michael, as I said, is usually a very sweet, very kind young boy, and he starts becoming mean, uh, mean to Harper, mean to uh, their their parents, mean to specifically mean to their father um, and their older sister, and he just is not himself. So Harper's not quite sure uh, what's going on. So she decides to look into maybe what's up with the house that they're living in. Uh, so she makes a friend uh, who lives in the neighborhood named Dio or Deo, and together they start to investigate the history of this house. And this house is known in the neighborhood as being haunted. What that means, they're not really sure. So they look into it a bit more and they discover all of these stories, um, all of these things that happened that took place in this house um, to a person who lived there who would potentially, uh, was known for potentially taking people in and killing them, um, to a young boy and his brother who lived there. Um, something happened with him and his brother. They're not really sure what exactly it is. And through their research, they discover that this young boy who lived there with his brother's name is William. And the short form for William is Billy. So as Harper kind of goes on um, with her research, her brother Michael starts becoming even more mean and 
just kind of trying to do things to hurt the family. Um, he'll put things in Harper's way or her sister's way so that they'll trip over them and try to injure them. Um, and this, she she realizes that there's something going on that she has to figure out exactly exactly what's happening and she has to figure out how to save her brother. So throughout all of this, she also starts having a sense of deja vu. And this sense of deja vu comes in the in the way that she starts to remember a little bit about what happened at her school before she left and what happened that landed her in the hospital and made them move to Washington, D.C. I'm not going to tell you what it is, um, but it is a very spooky story. And there are ghosts. Uh, there is a little bit of magic. Um, along with those ghosts, uh, there has it. It um, takes the perspective of a Korean American family. Um, one of the things that Harper is really excited about moving to Washington D.C. is that her grandmother lives nearby. Um, but because her mother and her grandmother are estranged, she doesn't get to see her. Um, but her grandmother comes in later and introduces all of these uh, traditions and cultural traditions to her life um, that end up helping helping Harper in the end and helping her brother as well. Um, so if you're looking for something that's spooky light is what I'm calling it. Um, so you want something a little bit spooky, but like me, you are a little bit of a chicken and can't uh, can't handle a full horror story, then I would definitely recommend Spirit Hunters by Ellen Oh. I actually find that book fairly, fairly yeah. spooky, yeah. Like there's I mean, something about ghosts that really freak me out. So I think that that aspect of it was, it was spooky enough. <laughs> and there's a couple of scenes in there. Mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I know Corinne knows what I'm talking about. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. what? Mm -hmm. like, it's uh, like a, a, an upper middle, like mm -hmm. upper like five six seven book like i'd say it's a middle middle grade mm -hmm. book mm -hmm. and, and creepy imaginary friends the yeah. best love an imaginary friend <laughs> yep yep great well thank you sadie mm -hmm. i i think that's a really good pick um mm -hmm. liz what have you got for us today well today i have a book that's been considered an homage to henry james's the Turn of the Screw. And this one is Ruth Ware's The Turn of the Key. Now, one might consider this uh, sort of a haunted house story and definitely hits a lot of tropes um, in the horror and haunted house story genre. So the book opens with Rowan in prison and she is awaiting trial for murder. Now her story unfolds as she is writing from prison to an attorney that she hopes will take her case because she claims that she is innocent. Now to backtrack as to what events led up to her landing in prison, she had applied for and got a live-in nanny position um, that was beyond her wildest dreams at that point. She may have embellished a little bit on her credentials, but point being, you know, she got the position, she was super happy, um, it came with a generous salary, and she was to live in a beautiful mansion called Heatherbray House. So she would be the live-in nanny for a professional couple that was frequently away from the home. And this home was situated in the Scottish Highlands, uh, absolutely luxurious, and was an old Victorian-style house that was renovated into a smart home. 
you know, one where your fridge will tell you when you're running low on milk and put it on your grocery list, where you can give voice commands to adjust the temperature, the air conditioning, heated floors, lights, the whole deal. Um, and on top of that, there's a beautiful, large, sprawling property around the house. The only thing being was that it was a little bit out of, out of the way, but that was okay. Gorgeous house, she would have everything she needed and that generous salary while taking care of two young girls. Now, she arrives at the house, thinks it's beautiful, decides to start her job, the kids are well-behaved. And then over time, she starts to notice some strange things. There's whispered rumors in the community about the house potentially being haunted. There's unexplained noises in the middle of the night that cause Rowan to lose sleep. There is the hot Scott handyman who is a welcome distraction. However, as she loses sleep and keeps hearing these noises, her paranoia starts to grow. And as the reader, we start to wonder, is she being a reliable narrator? There's also secret and forbidden spaces, not just on the property, but also within the house. So if you enjoy a sort of modern Gothic take on horror, paranoia, unreliable narrators, claims of innocence over a murder, um, if you like stories that involve creepy children, the Washington Post bills this as the governess alone with weird children in an isolated house story, then this one may be up your alley. I found this one to be low on gore, but high on paranoia and suspense, which is exactly the type of story I enjoy. So if you like an easy read, a breezy read, that's a page turner, but still scary, you might want to try out Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. Thank you, Liz. Well, and that's the thing, because horror is never just about gore. It's nice to hear some different kinds of horror. Um, so it's not like all typecast into like blood and gore and everything else, because it's not. Just like Corinne's next book is no gore. Well, I don't know. She'll tell us. She'll tell us. Not a lot of gore. Um, yeah, so I, um, I like a spook. If I'm in the mood for a spook, I am a big childhood reader of Haunted Canada. Um, and scary stories to tell in the dark, as well as a diehard fan of Unsolved Mysteries. Um, so I like a little bit of a spook. And it's funny that Liz should mention the gothic genre, because that is also one of my favorite genres, of, maybe of all time. Yeah, so this is a book of someone who takes all of those early Victorian tropes of the gothic and kind of brings them into her world. I am talking about Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. And this is maybe one of my top picks of the year. Um, it is about Noemi Taboda, who is a young, sharp, stylish socialite. And she is living the high life in 1950s Mexico with her bright red lipstick, her beautiful gowns, and her handful of boyfriends. She is called into her strongman father's office and given a little bit of a mission. Her cousin, Catalina, recently embarked on a whirlwind romance with an Englishman and was whisked away after the marriage to his estate somewhere in the 
countryside, very, very secluded from the rest of the world, um, to his estate called High Place. They haven't heard from Catalina in a little while, but they figure she's a newlywed. She's probably busy. So when they get the letter from her, they are a bit concerned. The letter from her cousin is full of suspicion. She's terrified. She says that her life is in danger. It seems like the ramblings of a madwoman. Without wanting to insult her new husband's family, Noemi's father decides to send her on a little trip to check up on her cousin and try and suss out what is really happening there. Noemi kind of glides to the rescue and ends up in this strange, secluded town with only one street. It was a former mining town, which made the Doyle family, Catalina's new married family, very, very rich, but at the cost of many, many lives. Noemi is taken to the family ancestral seat where the Doyle family reigns in memoriam. She meets Virgil, Catalina's slinky, seductive husband. She meets the cold, cruel aunt. And above all, she meets the ailing patriarch whose wails of pain in the night shudder through the entire house. Now, Noemi has come to rescue her cousin, but who is going to rescue Noemi from this awful, cruel family with their designs on her and this strange, dilapidated house that seems to pulse with a strange energy and the strange visions and omens that happen when she sleeps? This is very much a gothic horror story. It is uh, very psychological, a little supernatural, a little ghosty. Um, and I think Virginia and I have both read this one and really, really enjoyed it. So if you're looking for a, I'd say, medium-high spook this season, this is definitely one to check out. She is amazing. Like, the author, she is so... And I believe she, she lives, lives in, in Vancouver. Vancouver. Yes, yeah, and everything she writes is different, and they're re-releasing some of her older books, um, and she give you, like, vampires, she's got one called Certain Dark Things, which is equally good, like, uh, mythology, we talk about gods of, uh, you know, sh Jade and Shadow, mm -hmm. um, and she also has, I was just reminded, she also has a really good article on 10 creepy horror novels from around the world, um, and all translated works, and like I read some of those based on her recommendations and they are amazing. Nice. So good. Nice. And yeah, so, Mexican, yeah. Mexican Gothic has been optioned for, I believe, a TV series and mm. I cannot wait. See, I'm not big on adaptations. I'm scared of them. That's what I, I'm scared of. You're scared of, scared of a bad adaptation. Yes. Or any adaptation, adaptation because they're always kind of I'm suspicious of them. Lackluster, the only one, in my opinion, that has been a successful translation from book to screen has been the movie Holes. Really? It was great. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen that one. It's really good. That, yeah. That's because we all know your anti Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol, which is the true perfect. I'm not against it. I just don't think it's perfect. And I think that Michael King can't sing. There. 
<laughs> I I do have to say lock and key is not bad. I have not it's, seen it. I, I was surprised that it was, you know, because I have very low expectations of it, but it was not bad. And my husband, who hates horror novels, actually like sat through the whole thing. So, okay, we should just have a list of horror books that are good for people who don't read horror. But again, I hope that this episode shows that it's not always about the blood and gore, whatever people think of, or scary monsters chasing people around, because it is not. So many different kinds. No, and things are scary to different people. Like, as a child, and quite frankly, as an adult, the scariest thing to me would be to look out the window and see a strange Scotsman with a bushy beard. <laughs> very specific. I it's know, a like... very specific fear. And yet, and yet, and no one has written a horror novel for me. Oh, there we go. Everybody who's out there <laughs> listening. No, Corinne needs that specific horror novel. Very specific. Nice. All right, Fiona, what kind of scary things have you got for us today? Well, first, I guess I'm feeling really contrary today. So I want to say that I think that you should read Lock and Key and not watch Lock and Key. It was a, a good enough <laughs> adaptation. I felt like it was good on its own, but it yeah, wasn't a very yeah, good that's... adaptation. They changed so many things that I liked. Yeah. It wasn't a very true adaptation, I guess. Yes, but it stands on its own. Yes. Okay. okay. And, that. and if that inspired people to go read the comics, great. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. anyway. <laughs> I know uh, Virginia and I both love Joe Hill. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> I, I promise not to say Joe Hill today. So, <laughs> all right. Anyway, so my book. First, I want to start by saying um, I, I like horror a lot but I have a really low tolerance. So it's like finding those things that are just perfect of like, I'm not gonna stay up at night, um, you know, and not be able to sleep. Or maybe I am just a little bit, but I'm gonna like, you know, be able to eventually sleep. Um, and I'm pretty low tolerance on gore, but also on psychological thriller stuff. So yeah, I have a very like specific spot where I like to read horror from. Um, and I think a lot of it, like, um, when Virginia was talking about Christine, that it's like some of it is knowing that things are going to be okay in the end, or like at least that some people are going to be protected. Um, so I like to have like strong characters um, who like you kind of know are going to be okay in the end. Uh, and then even if bad things happen to other people, especially to bad people, I love when come like people get their comeuppance in horror stories. It's like the only time I can tolerate violence. <laughs> um, then, um, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> anyway, so I have chosen something today that is like just at the very, just at the tolerable level, like almost too scary for me. Um, and it is actually a children's book, but I generally, it's a middle grade, but I don't recommend it to middle graders because I think it's too scary unless they're like, really, really into spooky stuff. It is Thornhill Hill by Pam Smy. It, has a, uh, it is also sort of uh, draws from Gothic literature uh, a lot, um, but it is very different than the other things we've been talking about in that it um, is a hybrid novel and graphic novel. So we have two storylines. One of them is illustrated and one is a journal. 
So the illustrations are um, about Ella, who is in the present day. Um, and she has just moved to this new home and she, her mother is absent and her father is a workaholic and never around. Then the letters are coming from Mary, who is in the early 80s, a big throwback. <laughs> um, and uh, she lives in Thornhill, this soon to be defunct orphanage. Uh, so of course she's an orphan. Um, and there she is bullied intensely um, and has a really difficult life and um, kind of deals with that by making dolls. So yeah, if creepy dolls aren't your thing, maybe stay away from this one. <laughs> this book actually had two things that usually make me put down uh, a book and, and stop reading it. Um, but I actually felt that they worked really well um, within the horror genre. Like maybe, you know, if it was like realism, it would really bother me, but because it was for the spooks, I could like accept it. So those are bullying, uh, intense, horrible, scary bullying. Um, and then suicide is also used as a plot device. So a big content warning on that, um, because sometimes that, or often, you know, and maybe for you, like can be really disrespectful and not really a, a great um, thing to, to use as a plot device. Um, so if that bothers you, stay away from this book. Dolls bother you, stay away from this book. Um, for me, it worked as like a hearkening back to like spooky classic ghost stories. These two stories eventually kind of become intertwined. We've got uh, Mary whose life is getting worse and worse. She's receding more and more um, because this bully bullies her intensely. She comes in the middle of the night and she bangs on her door, bangs on her door. And, um, and Mary is just in constant fear. But then the bully will come and be nice to her and say she wants to be friends. And she gets the other kids to do this as well. This like constant flipping back and forth, which like, you know, even outside of like ghosts and spooky things that like psychological damage that this child is like orchestrating really spooky um and awful and scary and then on the other side things seem a little bit better for ella um until she gets kind of like taken in by this spooky um uh, building next door which is of course thornhill um and which is now abandoned and um ella starts to find these dolls all strewn around and she thinks that she sees something or someone. So in an act to try to trick, make friends with um, this, this being, uh, she starts to fix the dolls. Um, and she has a lot of time on her hands. She doesn't have a lot of attention uh, from her parents. So that begins to absorb her. Um, and that is where our two characters' stories cross over. Yeah, again, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm recommending it because it's just that perfect spook level. I sat in bed um, and I, I read the whole thing. Uh, it's like 522 pages, but most, a lot of those are like comics. And it was just that level of like, I'm so scared, but if I don't know what happens, I'm going to be more scared. Um, 
So highly recommended for people above the age of, you know, like probably 14. Um, good for him, but uh, Kareen is cringing, like maybe older. Yeah, let's say like, I think it's good. No, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, I it, it really, really uh, uh, freaked me out, but I would, I would recommend it if you are looking to get spooked. <laughs> Nice, nice. I think I don't know how many times you've said the word spook in that. I think like we get the point is spooky. Mm -hmm. Which I haven't read yet, so I have to go pick that up. So it's good. Like the illustrations are very like uh Henry Selnick, so like Wonderstruck and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like it kind of tells it's half telling the story in the illustrations and then half in the it's a very <laughs> spooky writing. And creepy dolls, that's really all I need. No, I don't actually. I love, need I love a haunted doll. Love. I don't know. I'm doll. I'm suspicious of. They were really good because it was like, oh, is this endearing? Is this lovely that she like makes these miniatures, or is she really scary and messed up? Leaning towards Bye. the second, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had my. I think my grandmother, when I was a child, gave me a doll whose eyes open and shut depending on like where mm. are you and like why, and. I think my mom came home one day and I was probably about three. And she's like, because grandma was visiting. She's like, oh, bring out grandma's doll. It's like, oh, she's not here anymore. And I was like, well, where did you put her? I shut her in the closet. <laughs> you can't get me now. Which is also kind of scary because you think like, when is she going to come out? She makes When it's me. dark. I know. Yeah, closet is not far enough. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, what are you reading, Virginia? Just because I can narrow things down because I'm bad at this. Very bad at this. I just need to give a quick shout out. This book, I would have talked about this book, but I couldn't because it's kind of out of print and the library doesn't have it because I can't get a copy. But you can ILL it because interlibrary loans amazing. So if you do want like the best, I think the best horror that I read is The Caretaker of Lawnfield by David Selstman. Do check that out. But this is not the book I am supposed to talk about. Um, so I, I end up narrowing down to a book that I think really exemplifies all the things that I talked about earlier about how I love horror novels and what they really what they really are and it is um, A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay um, Paul Tremblay has become sort of the rising stars in the last few years I would say and this is the his breakout novel when it came out it was my favorite novel of the year it was just that good um, and I think it made me it's one of those novels that made me realize again like how how much um, horror is how 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 different it could be, and and that what I really love about horror is is about that sort of people, a little bit people people trying the best to do what they can to survive. Um, and so this is about the Barrett family. Um, we got John and Sarah, the parents, and Marjorie, teenage daughter, and Mary, the eight year old girl. Things are not going well for the family. John has lost his job and it's been a year and a half now and he still hasn't found a new job. And Manis is tight. You know, they eat spaghetti every day because that's sort of the only thing they could afford. Um, they were once upon a time a middle class sort of suburban family, but, you know, just things are not going well in the in the town. And every single thing sort of triggers, you know, like a big giant argument in the family. And Marjorie is not well 
Now, other people might think Marjorie is just acting out. She's a teenager now, so she locks herself in the room. You know, she acts out, she talks back. That's just normal teenager things. But Mary, her sister, will tell you that this is not the Marjorie that she used to know. Starting from the kind of stories that Marjorie started to tell her, they used to share stories. They used to make up stories about richer, scary characters. They will open up the books and they will talk about the little characters, make up new adventures, and Mary will write them down and draw little pictures. And it always have happy endings. But now the kind of stories that Marjorie likes to tell always end up with people dying, people getting killed, and then there's these little paper notes that Marjorie leaves Mary. And that she'll find in the morning, and it doesn't matter what Mary does. She would like put like you know maybe like a, a jug on top of the door so that when somebody opens it, it will fall on them. Or she'll have like baby powder all through the the floor so that you can tr- see the footprints if somebody actually walk in. She'll have obstacles around her room so that again, if somebody walks in and while she's asleep, they will kick things and they will make noise and she will hear them. But no matter what she does, she never catches Marjorie coming in. But Marjorie will leave these little notes and telling her, "Last night I was in your room again and I pinched your nose, pinched it, and it didn't let go until you start gasping." Or that she will tell her how easy it is to get in her room and do things to Mary. And whenever Mary confront Marjorie, Marjorie would just laugh it off, or sometimes fake apologize for what she did and tell her that, well, I'm not the same, Mary. I am not the same anymore. There are voices in my head, and I can't get them out. And then there's the screaming, the screaming episodes where she scream and scream in her room, and her parents would try to get her out, and she won't stop. And Mary was always told to stay away, but sometimes Mary will catch glimpses of her sister in her room, where she's hanging on the wall like a spider. The parents don't know what to do with Marjorie. Sarah, the mother, thinks that. Marjorie should go see a doctor, and she takes her to the psychiatrist, but is not improving. So John decides that her daughter is possessed, that her daughter needs a priest. In her in his newfound religion, after he lost his job, he decided to turn to the church, and so he took Marjorie to the priest. And the father suggests doing an exorcism, but not only that. That we can actually get a crew, a film crew, in to document this and turn this into like a documentary, kind of like a reality show, and that, of course, will help a little bit also with the financial situation. Is Marjorie really possessed? Book is set up in a way where you get the story from Mary's point of view, but not as they were living it, but. When Mary was twenty-four and telling the story, recounting the story to an author who is trying to write a book about her family, so you gotta wonder, like, how much does she remember, and what she remember is this real or not? And not only that, the book also contains excerpts from a blog, a blog that dissect the reality show, how it's similar to some of the. Horror novels, the famous horror movies that is out there, and point out all the similarities, point out all the differences, and and sort of 
provide like sort of like a criticism of, of, of the, the whole show. And, and again, you kind of wonder like who is writing this? What is real? What is not real? My perfect kind of horror novel when you just don't know what is going on and, and who to trust because there's multiple possible unreliable narrators in the book. And like any good horror novel, it is about a family who is trying so hard to stay together and the kind of things that you would do to each other and for each other in these times of difficult times when they're just hanging on by a thread. I love an um, ambiguous ending, as many of you know. And this one, I think, after you read it, tell me what has actually happened. And if you like a good exorcism story, A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. So thank you all of you for sharing some freaky, spooky story, all different flavors, just like the candies. Um, and I just need to ask Sadie, how much, how many rocket did you eat? Because I keep seeing you, your mouth keep moving as we talk. I think there were five, four or five packets. I, I made the choice this year instead of buying like the actual big bag of rockets, I just went to the bulk section. And so I have significantly less rockets this year than I usually do, which is probably for the best. Well, we will let you go so you can go and eat more your rockets and perhaps go and buy more. Um, so again, everyone, happy early Halloween. All right. Well, thank you for joining us again for our Keep It Fictional. And we will see you all next week. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.